continuing this week at our look um, of the letters as we go through the different letters of Paul uh, throughout this whole year. Of course, we've been going through the New Testament and we're now in October, so we're really kind of clipping through here. And these next uh, few weeks, we'll just keep going through these books pretty rapidly. So today is the one day when we are looking at the, at the letter to the Philippians, uh, which is the letter, of course, that Paul wrote to the people there in Philippi. And so I'm going to be reading this morning from uh, Philippians chapter 4. We'll be looking at the first 14 verses. I invite you to hear these words. Paul says this, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, my beloved. I urge Euodia and I urge Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask, I ask you also, my loyal companion, help these women, for they have struggled beside me in the work of of the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Do not worry about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, beloved, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence and if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Keep on doing the things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. And the God of peace will be with you. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned for me but had no opportunity to show it. Not that I am referring to being in need for I have learned to be content with whatever I have. I know what it is to have little and I know what it is to have plenty. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being well-fed and going hungry, of having plenty and of being in need. And I can do all things through him who strengthens me. In any case, it was kind of you to share my distress. Sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. God, as we gather this morning, we pray that your spirit would be upon us. And that you would open up the words on these pages. That they might speak to us. I pray, Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts will be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen and amen. So when I was a kid, um, there were several times that my uh, mom and dad would uh, leave and go on vacation without my sister and I. Rude, right? Uh, and I never liked it. Right? And, and, and now, having my own children, it, quite frankly, it makes all the sense in the world to me. 
Not that we don't miss you desperately, but it was a gift at times just to be able to get away. And I'm sure it was a gift to my parents. But my sister and I, we absolutely despised every moment uh, when they were away. There were several reasons, of course, for this. Uh, you know, some of it was just that, you know, we loved our mom and dad, so we always wanted them to be around, um, especially when we were younger, uh, and so we missed them. A part of it was because, you know, we always liked the routine, and, and we knew where everything was in our own house, and, and so we liked that. And, and so when they left, we, had, we usually went over and stayed with somebody else. It was a particular couple, or it was a family, and it was, it was fine, but we always found that they always seemed really, really mean to us. Uh, we, we had one particular couple that my, uh, wife, uh, that my sister and I are always uh, kind of bringing up, and, and, and they were particularly mean, it felt like. In fact, by the end of our time with them, we would call them quietly Mr. and Mrs. Hannigan um, from, from Little Orphan Annie. Remember Mrs. Hannigan, how mean she was as the orphanage director? That's what they were like for us. I mean, they just, they just seemed like they weren't very kind, and they always were disappointing us. Like one time they said during this week uh, when we were with them, said, hey, your parents are giving us money. We're going to go out to a fancy restaurant. And so we got all dressed up, and we were excited, and then they took us to Denny's. Now, I like a Grand Slam as much as the next guy, but Denny's was hardly formal. It was hardly nice, and we always had the impression that they were taking the extra money that our parents had given them, and they were pocketing it, right? Just like Miss Hannigan would have done. I mean, this was just kind of who they were. But what I most remember is just how mean they always seemed to be when they were giving us like rules and then they would punish us at times. And, and I, we just kept wanting to say, who do you think you are? You don't know me. And, and the truth is, of course, as I look back at it, the, the reality is our parents were actually pretty strict and they punished us with glee, it seemed, at times. And so my guess is that actually uh, uh, Mr. and Mrs. Hannigan were not nearly as strict uh, as my parents but there is a vast difference between when your parents make you do something and when some stranger makes you do something, right? Because your parents, these are the people they, you know, uh, they gave birth to you. Uh, they were always home when you got home from school. They, they provided for you, right? They, they worked so that you could eat and so that you could have a place to stay and you could do sports. There's all those great things. But these strangers, right, you didn't know, they didn't do any of those things. And so it always felt very different when our parents were telling us what we should be doing or we should not be doing versus these strangers with whom we had very little relationship at all. And I thought about that this week because in many ways it seems to me when it comes to Paul and to all the letters that he's writing to these churches, it is very difficult for us to really hear them well. Because oftentimes, you know, all we hear are these words that Paul is telling us that we should, things that we should do or things that we shouldn't do. And it oftentimes feels kind of harsh and, and dogmatic and, and rude and mean-spirited perhaps even. And, and, and it's because of the fact that we, of course, we don't have a relationship with Paul. We know who Paul is in some sense, but we don't really have a relationship with him. And usually when we preach on passages like this, on any of the letters we kind of just take these words, these rules or whatnot, and we, we detach them from the people to whom they were originally written. And because of that, it just feels very different and oftentimes it makes us unable to actually hear what Paul is longing for us to hear. 
And so one of the things as I was looking at this passage this week, one of the things that I was struck with is the relationship that Paul clearly had with all of his churches, but especially, it seems, with the church in Philippi. That this was a relationship of love and the deep abiding in one another. Did you, did you hear it from the very beginning of this fourth chapter, from the first verse, in case you just kind of you know, weren't listening or whatnot? Let me, let me encourage you just to listen to this. Here's how Paul begins this, uh, this fourth chapter. He says, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, Stand firm in the Lord in this way, my beloved. Right? Or Eugene Peterson paraphrases like this in the message. He says, just listen to this, how these words would sound. My dear, dear friends, I love you so much. I do want the very best for you. You make me feel such joy You fill me with such pride. Can you imagine what it feels like if this is somebody that you have been in this relationship with and he is just telling you how much you fill him with pride, how much he loves you? All of us yearn from those words, especially from someone who knows us well. I said at the 8 o'clock, one of the things that I remember when I first came here uh, back in 2014 uh, where, where people would come up to me and talk about Jim Caps. Jim Caps was the interim pastor. He preached a couple times this summer. Hopefully you heard him. Just a great guy. But one of the things that people would say to me is how often Jim Caps would look out at the church, especially at GPC, that was kind of going through some struggles at that time, and he would say, you are a good church. And it was fascinating to me that when I came here, this is what people remembered. People remembered how Jim Caps was just encouraging them about who you were, who you are. And so I think about this, and I don't know how often when we come to the letters and we just kind of read through them, how often we think about this fact that Paul loves these people. He loves this church. He knows them. He has been in relationship with them. He is deeply abiding with them. And why is it? Why is it that he loves this church in Philippi so much? Well, if you skip past a lot of the other really great things of this passage, and you go down to verse 14. There's this very kind of pithy line. It's easy actually just to overlook it and just move on, but here's what it says. It says this. Paul says, it was kind of you to share my distress. It was kind of you to share my distress. One of the things that this points out is this this word I really keyed in on this week, this word distress. I really appreciate that because honestly, you know, Paul's one of those characters, one of those people. In fact, I said character, and maybe that just elicits it, who, who doesn't seem real, right? He almost seems like a robot. A, a few weeks ago, we looked at 2 Corinthians, remember, and, and he kind of gives us litany of everything that he has endured. Do you remember this? He's like, I've been, I've been shipwrecked, you know, several times, kind of left out in the darkness, kind of holding on. You get this idea of almost like Titanic or something, just holding on to a piece of wood. I barely survived. I've been flogged more times than I can remember. I had to run for my life. And, and then this week he talks about the fact that he knows that he's been hungry, that he's been in, in great need. And, and you get this image, at least I 
lie to a Paul sometimes that you just think, man, this guy's just a machine, right? And he just gets whipped and he's like, yeah, right here this time. I love that feeling, you know? And, and that he's just out there in the darkness on this wood. He's like, I hope the sun never comes up. This is a great time. I love this, right? We almost kind of make a caricature of Paul. He seems so other. And yet I love in this where Paul is vulnerable with them and he clearly points out and with us that you shared in my distress. In other words, as he sits here in prison, which is where he is when he's writing this letter, he's enchained, as we heard otherwise, likely having been beaten. And in the midst of that, Paul can be honest enough to say, look, you have shared with me in my distress. I was in great need, and you have loved me in the midst of this. Now, how have they shared in his distress? Well, they've shared in it, first of all, because they gave him some money. Right? They gave him money, which is no small thing, because in this time uh, in, in prisons, the only way that he got to eat is if somebody else was providing it for him. And so this money gave him food, no small thing indeed. But of course, it's much more than just money. Anytime that you have been given money when you were in time of need, it was about more than just whether or not you had food to eat or you could buy something with that money. It was this clear reminder that you had not been forgotten. There's Paul, and he's far away from Philippi, wondering if anybody has remembered him. And then he receives a letter with cash. And what Paul remembers is that even amidst the chains, amidst the isolation, amidst the reality, as he knew well, that he would more than likely die before long, that there was a group of people in Philippi who had not forgotten him, that they had shared in his distress. In fact, Stephen Fowle even suggests that more than likely, when they and Philippi are reaching out and caring for Paul, that they are bringing shame even upon themselves. Why? Because any time that you had a connection with the prisoner and you continue to care for them and love them, you were putting yourself as if you were in prison yourself. There was this shame. But yet the church in Philippi, the church in Philippi, though it cost them financially, though it cost them emotionally, though it cost them perhaps even socially, they decided that they have the love for Paul that they would share in his distress. So here, what I want us to understand here from the very beginning is this. That Paul is a person who has served and loved and suffered alongside the, the people in Philippi. And that the people in Philippi, the church in Philippi, have been those who have served and loved and suffered for him. And so in moments when, when we read through the epistles and we just want to kind of think about just, okay, well, what does this mean to me? And what am I supposed to do? What shouldn't I do? What's Paul saying? What, what, what we need to do is we always need to pause and to remember that there is, a, there is a relationship between these people. There is a deep loving and longing. There is something that we as a church have to learn, not just from what Paul tells us to do or not to do, but there is something that we have to learn simply from the way that they are church together, from the way that they have loved and served and suffered alongside of and cared for one another, that we always must be mindful of when we begin to read through these Letters. Now, why is that important? Well, I think one of the reasons, of course, why it's important is it helps us then to hear what Paul is saying 
in a better way. So in verse 9, um, there's always this kind of, it always feels a little bit foreign to us, I think, because we can't imagine saying this ourselves. When Paul's looking at them, he says, here's what I want. I want you to do the things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. In other words, it's like, again, it's like me saying to you, hey, if you want to look more like Jesus, you all should imitate how I am living my life. Now, that takes a lot of boldness, a lot of courage, and perhaps at least to our ears, it seems like a fair amount of ego. But what Paul knows, remember, we can't forget this, this is a person who the church in Philippi knows, which means this, the church in Philippi knows Paul's strengths and they know his weaknesses. And yet Paul still says, even amidst all of that, I want you, if you want to know how more and more look like Jesus, then look at the way that I am acting. Watch me and imitate me. Here's one of the things I think that Paul is being very clear about. It's something that we don't like to think about all that much. We prefer it to be otherwise, but it is not the case. Which is that Paul knows that more often than not, those with whom you are in deep relationship are almost always those with whom you will begin to look more and more like them. Whether you want to or not, whether you'd prefer to or not, you are almost always, others are almost always going to begin to imitate themselves based off of who you are and what you are doing. Right? One of the ways that we talk about this a lot is is with parents and children. One One of the truths, right, that we talk about several times a year probably and that we wish it was not the case is that our children will imitate us far more than they will listen to us. Let me say it again. Our children will imitate us far more than they will listen to us. This is why we get so annoyed with our children. Because so often they remind us that they aren't doing what we tell them. They are doing what they see us doing. I was reminded of this several weeks ago. You know, I think I may have told you before that um, uh, typically after... um, after Sunday, my wife and I, we have two different cars here, and so um, I'm, I'm one of the children will go home with me, right? If it's the first Sunday of the month, it will be uh, the oldest. If it's the second Sunday, it'll be the second oldest, and, and so on and so forth. On the fifth Sunday, it's just a wild card. Nobody knows what's going to happen. And so, so this, is, this is kind of, this is what we do. And, and, but of course, we don't just go home because that would be too easy. It's always a race. Who's going to go home? Who's going to get home first, right? This is something Megan wanted to do. I'm not competitive. I didn't want to do this. Now, this is all in fun, but you know, I mean, the kid, whoever's behind me is always like, come on, dad, you got this, you got this, right? And so, you know, there's probably a time or two, I may have gone a tick or two over the speed limit. There may have been once or twice I was following the car in front of me too close and maybe even was taking shortcuts that were probably not the wisest. But for me, it was always just for fun. This is just, come on, because whoever gets there, then everyone's cheering and we won, we won. This is, this is how it goes. Now, that's all been fine and dandy over the last several years. But then uh, the first Sunday of September, it must have been, uh, my oldest was there with me. We were driving and, and, and we had, you know, we, had, uh, we were going to win because, you know, we just did what we had to do. And, and, and we were driving up, literally, I, I remember this very clearly, we were driving up Hoffman which is just like two little jogs away from our house, you know, in celebration, and all of a sudden it dawned on me. My daughter is 12 years old. In about four years, she is going to be driving. And I'm going to be telling her things like, don't drive over the speed limit. Should I just look at you right now and say this? 
Don't follow too close to cars. Don't go the wrong way through the Dairy Queen drive-thru just because it's faster. <laughs> Things like that, for example. And I realized that many of those things will likely fall on deaf ears if she is not actually seeing me abide by those things. That she will much more likely imitate me than she will listen to me. And so one of the things that Paul understands and that I appreciate about Paul is that though we could just kind of act like this wasn't the case, the reality is he gave voice to what is we all know is true, which is that who we are around, we eventually begin to look more and more like. Right? And so, so we need to pay attention with whom are we surrounding ourselves? Are these people that we want to imitate? Do we want to look more and more like them? Is that helping us to look more and more like Jesus or less and less like Jesus? You know, I, I can remember, and I've said all this before, you know, people, where, where I learned from, about hospitality was not, is not from, from having read about what it means to be hospitable. It's from having experienced hospitality. I learned most about grace, of course, not from reading about grace or the definition. It's from people who have, who, have, who have given me grace. When I have received it, I have learned it, and I have begun to try to imitate that. And, of course, it also is, should be very sobering to us because it means that we have to ask ourselves, when people are done hanging out with us, with those with whom we are in deep relationship are they becoming more like Jesus or less like Jesus for having been with us? Paul, though, is able, because he knows how deep this relationship, he's able to just be very clear about this reality. So there they are. They're in this deep, loving relationship, which allows him then not only to be honest about that, but to say a hard truth to the people there. Now, you just need to picture this if you can. You probably know how this works. There's Paul, and he's reading this letter, or I'm sorry, they're reading this letter from Paul in the church. They're gathered. Let's just say it's like this. Uh, uh, and, and there they are, and Paul's just reading all these things, and it's all good. And then he gets to verse 2 and 3 of the fourth chapter, towards the very end, where all of a sudden he says, Now, Euodia and Syntyche, two women, you need to be of the same mind. Which means, in other words, you two seem to be fighting. And you need to stop because it is damaging the unity of this church. Now, as you can imagine, that would be difficult to hear if you were Euodia or, or Syntyche, these two women. That wouldn't be easy to hear, especially though, let's be clear, right? Especially if you didn't know Paul. One of the things then that is why it's so important for us to remember this relationship is that Euodia and Syntyche are people who knew Paul. They loved Paul. They appreciated Paul. In fact, Paul is even more specific about these two women when he says, you, I've served, you two have served alongside of me. You've suffered in the ministry together with me. In other words, Paul has earned the right to be able to speak these hard truths into their lives. It doesn't mean it was easy for them to hear, but very much like I just said about my parents, when those people, when you have learned and you've loved and you've served and you suffered alongside of and you cared for each other, that's when you begin to earn the right to be so honest, to challenge each other. 
So a part of what it means to be in a body like we are in a body here at ZPC, a part of what that means is that because of the fact that, that we have this opportunity to love each other deeply, to serve along each other, to struggle with one another, to do all of those things, because of that, and as you journey alongside, we then have the opportunity to be shaped more like Jesus by the ways in which we imitate others, by the ways in which we have loving and honest conversations with one another. Now, as I was thinking through this passage, I was kind of wondering why. I've preached on this several times. In fact, I've already preached on this twice uh, just in my time here at ZPC on this passage. And, and usually, of course, we want to talk about things that are good to talk about, about worrying and being thankful and praying and being content and thinking about things that are true and honorable and pure. So why is it then this time, why, why this week was I kind of stuck on just thinking about this relationship with, with Paul and the church? And I'll, I'll tell you, I think it's because, by and large, of COVID. Because one of the things that I hope, that I believe is a gift of this season, as difficult as it has been, is because it has reminded us of the critical nature that we do not journey alone. Because for so long... Of course, we were journeying what felt like alone. And it was a struggle. And there was this sense, at least for me, of missing this. In fact, I was remembering this because several days ago I had a conversation with somebody. I couldn't even remember who it was. And it was fascinating. They, they reminded me of, of, what you, of what many of you did, uh, um, some over 100 of you, I think, kind of, which was to send in, this was like probably in May of 2020, something like that, uh, send in a picture. You remember this? Some of you did this. You sent in pictures of yourselves. Uh, they were beautiful pictures. I mean, you guys look great. And, 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 and they put them, you know, on, on, on so many of these chairs, right? And some of them even, they put you where you usually sit. That was great, you know, because all of you have your seat. Some of the 930 and 11, or the 9 and 10, they would fight each other over a particular seat. And so there they were, and it was phenomenal. So when Pastor Scott and I came in, right? I mean, I don't know what we expected, but um, um, I don't remember what you, your reaction, but I know I cried because I just tend to cry a lot. I think you did as well. I didn't want to call you out. But. but it was just this kind of emotional response. And, and it wasn't just, you know, it wasn't because, you know, oh, yeah, there's, uh, you know, there's such and such. Or, oh, yeah, no, no, no. No, no, It was this little flat page. Again, it looked fine. You guys look great. But what was impactful was that for almost every picture, there was a memory. Almost every picture, there was something that came to mind. I remember when we had this conversation about a struggle that you had at work. Or I remember that time that we laughed together. I remember that time when we cried together. I remember that time that we went on that mission trip together. And all of a sudden, these very flat kind of pictures on these pages, all of a sudden they began to come to life because that's what it looks like whenever it is that you are on journey in a community of faith together. That's what it looks like whenever you've suffered alongside one another, whenever you've given to each other, whenever you've served one another, whenever you've mourned together or celebrated together. All of a sudden then it begins to come to life. And I think in many ways that's what I want us to remember when it comes to these epistles. Every time you read it, I I want you to see it not just as flat words on a flat page. I want you to remember that Euodia and Syntyche are real people. That Paul has been somebody who's been there and has been encouraging and loving and caring and they've gone through good time and bad together. All of this which brings it seems to me these stories into life. And One of the things I was thinking about this week 
was how in so many ways it seems to me, I've begun to, to feel this in my spirit, this sense of all of a sudden of, of breath being breathed again into the life of ZPC. Let's be honest, we have taken a punch in the face, as all of us have, all across the globe. It has been a struggle. But one of the things I kept looking at this week was, was when Paul said, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Here's what Karl Barth says. He says, every time you see the word rejoice in this letter to the Philippians, it is like God is saying, nevertheless, I know, Paul, that you are in prison, but nevertheless, the gospel keeps going out. I know, Paul, that you are struggling and that you may be hungry at times, but nevertheless, Jesus is still on the throne. I know that you have struggles, but nevertheless, God is not done with you. And as I was kind of thinking about this passage and this life together, I was remembering, I was remembering last week, and I heard it at the 9.30 and the 11, especially hearing both of you guys. I remember coming in and just, or being here and just hearing the voices, the song that for a long time we haven't heard as much. And I don't know what it was. I don't know the reason. But all of a sudden, you all were singing. And I loved it because when I hear that song, when I hear you all giving praise to God, I remember, nevertheless, COVID, we will keep worshiping. And when I was out in the gathering space last week and there were so many that were coming together and you could see them embracing and I was remembering the stories that each of you have, I was this great reminder that no matter how much COVID might try to isolate, nevertheless, we will keep gathering as sisters and brothers in Christ. And as I was thinking about um, 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 Rise Against Hunger two weeks ago and about how, or three weeks ago, whenever that was, and seeing all over 200 folks that were there and we're doing mission together and we're doing these incredible things, it was this great reminder to me that nevertheless we will keep doing mission together. And when I think about Great Banquet coming up in a few weeks, yes, it's going to look different. I understand all of that. But here's what it's a reminder to me. Rejoice because nevertheless we will not stop telling of the grace of God. And what I want you all to remember in the midst of all of this, in the midst of all the struggles, is this fact that Jesus continues to breathe new life into this congregation. Jesus continues to move us forward because no matter what the future may hold, God is still on the throne. So that no matter what it is that we may be going through, no matter what struggle we may be having, Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. And part of the thing that I want to end on that I want you to remember is something that I oftentimes say to you probably once a year. It's this quote from, from Leslie Newbigin that is this great reminder to me of why it is so important that we be a church that is growing and loving and caring and moving forward. Here's what Newbigin says. How is it possible that the gospel should be credible, that people should come to believe that the power which has the last word in human affairs is represented by a man hanging on a cross? I am suggesting, Newbigin says, that the only answer, the only hermeneutic or interpretation of the gospel to the community around it is a congregation of men and women who believe it and live by it. Sisters and brothers in Christ, 
Jesus longs to continue to use us as a witness to who he is. He wants us to reflect the coming kingdom of God. And the ways so often in which we do this are those simple ways in which we live together, we love one another, we serve beside each other, we give to one another, and we abide in one another and in God. And as we do so, God will continue to breathe new life into us and we will continue to reflect the living Jesus to a community and a world that is desperate to experience his love and grace. Hallelujah. Amen? Let's pray. God, it is not always easy for us to understand all that we may face, the struggles all around us, and yet what we know, Lord, is that we do not engage in these struggles or these conflicts alone. We know that you have promised to always be with us, and we know that you have created a community of which we are a part. For that, we give you praise. So we pray, Lord, that you would continue to be with us. Help us to experience what it means to be loved by you and to love others as you have loved us. It's in your name we pray. Amen.